actually going to be talking about, we're going to start with boxes and shoes. We're going to move to the synagogue experience in Capernaum. We're going to talk about a man with an unclean spirit. And ultimately, I think what we're going to do is talk about the nature and use of authority. All right? We'll see what happens. Let's pray. God, we invite your presence here. We know that when we gather, uh, that you meet with us. And so as we open up your word, God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Alright, so a couple questions about authority just to leave out there um, as we're talking about this stuff is, um, where does it come from? What's it for? Who has it? Who doesn't? Um, some kind of things that we'll be thinking about as we explore this topic. And so when I started looking at authority, I, I noticed that there was at least three different kinds of authority we'll get to afford in a moment. This charismatic authority or authority uh, that's given a person... Um, based on their personality or the success that they've achieved. So that's one kind of authority. A traditional authority is one that's kind of passed on by bloodline or birthright. Um, and finally, there's what people call rational or legal authority, not because of a person's title, but rather because of the role or function that they fill that's kind of widely recognized in the structure of society. And so, you know, as you're thinking about these things, you know, it's like a lot of people seek authority, some try to take it, um, some try to, they don't want any. Um, some people think they're owed it. Um, and so I remember it made me think back to my first job when I was in high school. So anybody remember the shoe store that used to be right behind us, Jack Shoes at Westlake? It was there for a long time. So I actually helped open that store when I was in high school. I helped them build their stock room in the back. Um, that was my first job. So I prided myself on the systematic organization of inventory, boxes of shoes, right? Not a pair of shoes in that store was ever out of place because of this guy. <laughs> now, the managers deferred to me for a couple reasons. One, my organizational skills are, are really good. Um, it's one of the things I do really well. But the biggest reason was is to, it was the lowest status job in the whole operation. And so when somebody was actually excited about organizing shoes, the managers were like, please, it's all yours, you know? Um, and so this was my first taste of authority, yes, over boxes of shoes. No joke. Now, it wasn't very much, uh, but you put me in a room with thousands of pairs of shoes, and I'm the man, all right? Like, my authority reigned over those boxes of shoes like a boss. I mean, they did everything I wanted them to do. They went where I put them. They didn't talk back. <laughs> And so the challenging thing, you know, so I was reflecting on, like, this is the way my mind works. I'm thinking about my authority over shoes. Um, and what I learned from this experience when I actually had to move out onto the floor to sell shoes when the store opened, um, I learned that authority dealing with people is a little bit different. Uh, it's a little bit more challenging than shoes. And so, like, my dream of being the king of the shoes was crushed uh, when the store actually opened. I didn't last long as a salesperson. Um, I learned from that job that I did not want to sell anything. Um, today's passage, the central issue is the authority of Jesus, right? And how it kind of sets the stage for a clash of authorities with the rational legal authorities of the powers that be. And so as we listen to this text from Mark 1, 21 to 28, just have these questions in mind as you hear the story. Where does Jesus' authority come from? What does Jesus have authority over? And how did Jesus use the authority that he had. We'll keep those three questions in mind. Where did the authority come from? What does he have authority over? And how does he use the authority over the things that he had authority 
Here we go from Mark 1. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their uh, midst in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. And so Jesus has been baptized. He's battled Satan in the wilderness. He's called his first disciples. And now his kind of public ministry begins. And so this story begins with simply, they went to Capernaum. Now, why did they go to Capernaum? Um, after leaving his kind of home in Nazareth, Capernaum becomes Jesus' kind of home base. And we're not really told why, but there's a few good reasons. It seems to be a place perfectly situated for Jesus' ministry in Galilee. It's the home of his first converts. It's right next to the kind of main trade route, the Via Maris, which connected the Mediterranean to the city of Damascus. It's located on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And archaeology has actually revealed something that I thought was pretty cool when I looked it up. Uh, that it actually had a, a first century harbor extended 25 feet hundred along with an eight foot high seawall and all these piers for boats. Um, so it was a place that seemed to have enjoyed like a pretty uh, large degree of economic prosperity in the time of Jesus. It also had a synagogue where the Jews gathered around the Torah. And so in 1969, the synagogue, this particular one, was actually excavated down to the very stone pavement that Jesus probably stood on in the first century. Like, how cool is that? Now, Dale and Wendy, I was wondering if you guys have been to this one. I've got so many pictures of Capernaum, but I'll share later. Oh. <laughs> okay, I knew it. I knew you guys were going to have been. So you probably stood on this exact stone that Jesus taught and healed this man on. It's like, that thought is unbelievable. All right, we want to see those pictures. Okay. So after this, we'll like we'll send a couple pictures out because this would be pretty cool. Um, all right, so I learned a couple of things now. So Jesus enters enters the synagogue in Capernaum. He begins to teach. Now Torah teaching was done by the rabbis or scribes, as they're called here. These scribes, these are Bible experts. They knew the Bible backwards and forwards. Their authority was kind of of the rational legal variety. They're given authority uh, over by the Jews because of their Torah expertise. That's who these guys are. And so a few things I didn't really know, um, that when they were walking down the street, like common, common folk, uh, would actually defer to them and step aside when they walked by. That's some authority, right? Um, the first seats in the synagogue were reserved for the rabbis, the scribes, um, which, is, which is pretty cool. So you're sitting, the Knowltons are sitting in the, in the scribe seats right here. Um, so we're going to defer to you guys, our, our Bible experts, sitting in the front row. Um, and so when they entered the, the synagogue, they had this kind of respect that people actually rose to their feet when they walked into the synagogue, right? So like when I enter Light Shine on Sunday mornings, like I just hope that I get 20 minutes to be able to teach without somebody pointing to their watch or telling me, like, you know what, your time's pretty much up. Um, 
That's the kind of respect I'm used to. But I kind of like it that way, so I'm all right with it. But anyway, I'm digressing. Um, the scribe's authority, right, so it comes from the tradition of elders, from the fathers of Judaism. And so when a rabbi would teach, they would say things like this. They would say, as Moses taught, or as so, Rabbi so-and-so taught. I would say, as Rabbi Sappho taught next door, if I heard him say something that I liked. Jesus doesn't teach like that. Right? And so here's where we're seeing that Jesus' authority is different from what people were used to. His authority is like seemingly independent. You ask the question, where does Jesus' authority, where does it come from? Because it's not coming from Moses or quoting another prophet or a different rabbi. Um, he seems to be the source of his authority. And so you find the answer to this question. You look a few verses before today's teaching, and you look at Jesus' baptism. Some of us will remember this. The heavens opened up, and this, uh, the Spirit of the Lord descends on Jesus like a dove. And here it is, the voice of heaven. This voice comes from heaven and says, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Right? And so Jesus' authority doesn't come from Moses. It doesn't come from another rabbi so-and-so. What Mark is saying is that Jesus' authority comes directly from God. Right? This, this is what Mark is trying to tell us. And so people, they're astounded at the authority by which Jesus taught because they recognize that there was something different. There's something about Jesus that can't quite put their finger on, but they recognized it when they saw it. And so equally impressive as his authoritative teaching is his authority over what you know, we might call the natural and supernatural realms. And so in their midst, in the synagogue, was this man with an unclean spirit. It doesn't say, like, I, was he sitting there listening to Jesus teaching the whole time? Did he just wander in off the streets? Uh, did he hear? You know, this is what I think. Did he hear that Jesus was going to be there? And that draws this man to the synagogue? I mean, if I was going to guess, that's where I would go. Uh, that's what I think probably is going on here. And so Mark uses this word, unclean spirit. It's actually a favorite expression of his. And it indicates, like, when you look at the, what it means, it means polluted or contaminated. Maybe it's a Hebrew way of saying, like, ungodly spirit or an evil spirit. And so what I would want to say about this man is simply this, that some people's lives, maybe some of us know, I, I, I know some people like this, and I'll actually share about one of them. Some people's lives have become such a nightmare that their personalities seem to have just been hijacked by an alien power. If you've ever seen a person like this, you might understand the kind of person we're talking about in this scripture. In this story, in this man, what Mark is saying is that there's no doubt this host of evil forces at work in this man's life. He is bound by something well beyond his control. I actually just had an experience with this. I missed last Sunday. I was away uh, at a, like a conference where I have to learn how to coach other church planners uh, to keep my certification. So I help other church planners start churches all over the country through Presbyterian Church, and I'm on the 10th floor of the Four Points Hotel, and at about midnight, I hear some pretty loud sounds, some things breaking and crashing, um, and I hear some screaming and some yelling, and I quickly run out into the hallway in a pair of shorts, <laughs> thinking that somebody was, you know, I don't know, I thought they were dying, right? was, I've never heard anything like it, and it turns out that uh, there was a gentleman two doors down that had some, something was drastically wrong. And police have been called. And he is screaming at the top of his lungs, 
you know, call 911, take me to the hospital, stop torturing me, you're hurting me, don't hurt me. And, but when I say screaming, I mean screaming at the top of his lungs, things are breaking, and this, is, this went on for an hour in this poor man's room while I sat in the hallway. You're not sleeping, right? <laughs> uh, sleep is already long gone. So I'm concerned about a lot of things. Like, I'm concerned about this poor guy. Like, is he being, you know, tortured by the police? He wasn't. Um, he was tortured in his, in his own mind. And so you experience something like this, and they finally, this man was removed in full head-to-toe restraints and carried out of his room. It took an hour to have that happen. I've actually not experienced anything quite like it. Um, and that just happened to me last week, seeing someone that was uh, in, in another state of, another state of mind. But when I read this passage at first, the thing that came to my mind was actually a really good friend, not just someone that was in a hotel room uh, next door to me. By the way, they offered me a free continental breakfast. <laughs> that was what they offered me for losing a night's sleep. Um, I could have a free banana in the thing. Um, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more, but I didn't push it. Um, I thought that was funny. Anyway. When I really looked at this passage, what I thought about was a friend uh, that I grew up with. Um, and when we actually met, I don't know, right around the beginning of high school. So I was almost Alex's age, right? Um, and to know him at your age and to know him today is like knowing two completely different people, right? Um, and so this guy has endured things that like, I can't even imagine things so bad and traumatic, things I, I, can, I would never even share in a public message. Um, and so I, I visited him for multiple decades. He bounced around between institutions, um, and he used to go visit him all the time, fairly regularly. He used to be sort of local. Um, and every time I visited him brought this kind of new wave of just sadness and despair until I just couldn't really take much more of those kind of visits. Um, and the last time I saw my friend, I honestly thought that I was with a person who had lost something of the essence of what it means to be human. That's where, that's where it went. And it's the only time that I've ever experienced that sort of a feeling before. And I remember in my last visit with him, he was kind of, had all these spiritual moments. He was constantly reading God's word, which I found fascinating. He was always talking about revelation, speaking about conspiracies and the things that were going on in his mind, and none of it made any sense to me uh, as he tried to explain the things that are going on in his head. You know? But what jumped out at me in the, in the conversation was the fact that when he looked at his own condition, he, would, he could articulate it too. He would say his condition was a spiritual condition, which I found fascinating. Um, his doctors, I don't think, thought of his condition as a spiritual condition. Matter of fact, I'm, by the amount of medication that they were pumping into him, I'm pretty certain that they were not treating him in any way for a spiritual condition. He saw his condition that way, and so I, that, you know, I never something I never forgot. Um, I didn't know what to think. And it's something that I've never been able to explain what his condition is. But when I read this story today, I thought of this friend who was truly bound by forces um, to this day that have never let him go, never let him. And so I'm always struck by the fact that in Scripture, these kind of people, tormented human beings, they always seem to seek Jesus out. 
And so, of course, she should ask the question, why is this? And when I went back and asked that question, took a look at the text a little bit closer, there's a clue. It's because they recognize Jesus when so many other people do not. They know who Jesus is, and they know what Jesus came to do. It's amazing. Maybe this man, this man with this unclean spirit, this ungodly spirit, whatever it is, maybe this man believes that Jesus, he calls him the Holy One of God. Maybe he believes that this Holy One of God came to stop his personal nightmare. Maybe he believes that this Jesus whom he's encountering has come to heal him, to rescue him from the destructive forces that were enslaving and so Jesus once again exercises this authority that amazes these eyewitnesses. The unclean spirit, it leaves the man convulsing and shrieking, and people are standing there. You think about this, they're staring, it's like their mouths are just gaped open. They respond with a question, what is this? Is that not the right question to ask? Like, what is this that we have just witnessed, that we've just seen right in front of us? And the answer is the power of God to heal, the power of God to transform, to restore the life of this tormented man. And so Jesus has authority. What we've looked at so far, that Jesus teaches with authority, that Jesus heals with authority, that Jesus, we already know, has authority over things like the wind and the waves. You remember that story? And so what is it that Mark is trying to say? Mark is saying that Jesus has total authority, mastery over the supernatural and the natural realms. This is what Mark is trying to, trying to say to us. And so it got me thinking, we see that Jesus' authority, it comes straight from God. But yet look how Jesus uses this authority. Jesus uses his divine authority. He uses it to help, to heal, to restore, to make this man whole. And here's what we see, unfortunately, around us all the time. We see power seized and authority used or abused for selfish gain. This is not what we see. Look at the news just this week. Maybe no bigger news story this week illustrating just this point than the story of the disgraced Dr. Larry Nasser, right? Sentenced to 100 and up to 175 years in prison for using his position of authority to abuse young girls on the U.S. gymnastics team over multiple decades. Like, I was just blown away by this story. 156 girls and young women testified about these abuses, all under the guise of treatment, right? This is an abuse of authority. Here's a man who was supposed to use his authority to, this is incredible, think about this, he was supposed to use his authority to heal brokenness to restore people to health. That was his job. Instead, he used it for something very different, something that just creates an infinite ripple of pain. Like, I was struck by the, the judge. She, she let him have it a couple times. I read some of her quotes. Uh, one of them was, like, she said, I wouldn't send my dog to you. Yeah. Neither would I. Not a chance, right? The, she also said the thing that really got to me. She said, I, she looked him in the eye and she said, I just signed your death warrant. That's what she said to him. I just signed your death warrant. It made me really think, these are some fitting, interesting words. That kind of abuse certainly leads to death. The kind of authority that Jesus demonstrates leads to life. Look at the difference in those two 
things. The godly authority is power used for the benefit of other people. Benefit of the world. And so it's power used to restore things to their rightful condition. It's power used to give life, to restore humanity where dehumanizing forces are at work in the world. And so to kind of contrast with that story, I ran across another news story. This one took place a little bit a little bit, a little while ago, about this guy who kind of reminded me of the way that Jesus used his authority. And so it was actually, I don't see if anybody remembers this, I can't remember when it took place, but there was a tourist boat, it was loaded with vacationers, it was one of those boats, with, like a ferry boat where the cars drive on. Um, they actually failed to shut their doors properly. And so they're a little ways out, and the, the boat begins to take on water. It actually flipped onto its side, and it just begins to sink. So, you know, you think about a boat flipping onto its side with cars in it, right? Cars are flying all around and stuff's going crazy. Um, people are screaming, their vacations turned into this horror movie. And this one guy stood out, not a member of the crew. He took charge of the situation. He actually filled a role. He kind of assumed an authority that was certainly not by birthright or position. He just assumed it because it was something that needed to be done. He calmly started giving these clear orders, directing people to the life rafts. And tons of people were uh, saved, people that found these life rafts that otherwise would never have made it um, on that day. And then he did something just incredible. And this is the part that really reminded me of, of what, what Jesus has done and how Jesus used his authority in the hold of the boat where there was still a bunch of people trapped. This same man actually made a human bridge. He grabbed onto one part of the boat that was up above the water uh, into another part that was partially submerged. And people literally, physically used his body as a bridge, climbing over him uh, to safety. This guy used his authority. He literally gave his life uh, for other people. And so that was kind of reflecting on the difference between those two stories. One, this story of destruction uh, using your authority for this selfish gain and the ripple of pain and destruction that that causes where we have this other example of authority used for the benefit and the saving uh, and the restoration of others. And so when I was got to this weird point in writing this sermon, I actually had to just stop. Stop thinking about what I wanted to say. I actually physically took my keyboard and removed it from my desk. And I just sat there and reflected on Jesus' like, use of authority for the benefit of this tormented man. It made me think about the Holy One of God who restores people to health, who restores people to wholeness, who restores broken people to their creator. And so it made me think about my, my friend Randy, right? It made me just stop working and just pray for him that my friend would encounter the Jesus that we see in this scripture. And so I just want to leave us with maybe a, a kind of a, a thought-provoking question. And that is, do we as disciples of Jesus, do we operate in the world with the same kind of authority that Jesus did? Now, before you say no, before you say, you know what, he's God and I'm not, that's really true, by the way. <laughs> you gotta make sure, you gotta make sure like, you don't hear me say something I'm not saying. It's on the recording, right? Dustin, you can hear me? All right, good. Because this would really, these get me fired like that. 
Um, let's listen to what, what Mark's gospel says. Mark 6, 7, this is what it says. It says, He, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. That Jesus passes on this godly authority to his disciples. This is a really good lunch conversation, all right? I'm not going to answer it for you. Um, that would take a whole nother sermon, and I'm not preaching this text, but I, I couldn't help but say it. Do we, as disciples of Jesus today, operate with this same kind of authority that we see Jesus operating with? And it just seems that in some mysterious way, Jesus seems to have passed on this authority. The authority of God to his disciples. Jesus gave his disciples authority over the forces of evil, over chaos, over uh, authority over dehumanizing forces, authority over the things that diminish life as God intended it to be. And so I can't help but wonder, is it possible that Jesus is trying to give us, his disciples today, this kind of godly authority? And maybe we just sit with that for a few moments. We talk about, that's a great lunch conversation. <laughs> I'd love to hear your answers, because um, I can't develop it here. I wish I could. But it is kind of thought-provoking. Do we have that do we operate and live with that kind of authority? The thing that stood out to me the most was that Jesus' authority always brought blessing. It always brought healing to other people. And so may our authority, may our influence, whatever we do have, be used for the same purpose. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, who has authority over everything, Authority over the natural, the supernatural, the authority over the wind and waves, authority over each of us, over your church. God, we look at how you use power to heal and to bring peace. And so may we use the influence that we have to sow seeds of shalom in this deeply divided and broken world. We pray this in Christ's name.